Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 through 17. We want to talk about the purpose of the scriptures. For several weeks now we've been doing a study on God's word. It's called bibliology. That's the study of the Bible, study of God's word. We've talked about the perfection of the scriptures. We've talked about the preservation of the scriptures and tonight we want to talk about the purpose of the scriptures. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. We've got a lot of scripture to cover tonight. They'll be on the screen. You simply have the reference there on your outline, on your notes. And you'll also notice that there's a lot of blanks to fill in. I'll do my best to steer you uh, to where, what to write in at what time. Um, but if I were to have all the references typed out for your notes, you'd end up with about two pages, uh, three pages printed out if we'd have had all that typed out. So I'm going to put Bill to work tonight uh, with, with changing all the slides. So uh, it'll be on the screen, and if you're able to turn quick enough, you can flip there in your Bible and read them as we read them on the screen as well. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 17. It says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. In our text, Timothy is challenged to maintain a close relationship with the Word of God. Paul tells him of the benefits that come from such a relationship. He is reminded that it's the Scriptures that have taught him what he knows about God. It's the Word of God that has fed him and led him to this point in his life. Paul reminds him that the Scripture has been foundational in making him the man of God that he is. And you read that in verse 14 and verse 15. He also tells him that he is to continue in them so that he might continue to progress as a believer and as a man of God. And I believe the same is true for us. If we're going to be all we can be for the glory of God, we have to have a close relationship with the Bible. If we're going to grow in the Lord as He wants us to, then we need the Word of God. We need to read this book. We need to study this book. We need to meditate on it and hide it in our hearts so that we can be what God wants us to be. If we're going to be growing Christians, if we're going to be growing believers, you need the Word of God in your life. The verses that we've read this evening have something to say to us about the purpose of the Scriptures. They answer at least partially the question of why God gave us His Word. Have you ever pondered that question? Why did God give us the Bible? Why did God give us His Word? Why did God feel the need to give His revelation to the original authors of the Bible? Why did God feel the need to exert supernatural power to inspire His Word? Why has He demonstrated the same supernatural power in preserving the same word. Now, I don't want to presume to pre- speak for God or to put words in God's mouth, but I believe as we look into the pages of His Word, we can see for ourselves why God gave us His Word. 
And so tonight, let's talk about the purpose of the Scriptures. Number one, they serve the purpose of revelation. They serve the purpose of revelation. Revelation is the process of God telling the original author exactly what he wanted to say. And just as God revealed His mind to the original author, His inspired word continues to reveal Him and His mind to all those who open the book and read it. This is what you call illumination, and it's what Timothy had already experienced according to Paul in verses 14 and 15. Notice with me what the Bible reveals about God. Subpoint number one, if you want to call it that. That the Scriptures reveal God's person. They reveal God's person. You see, the only way God can be known by us, at least now, is through His Word. So as we open His Word, we see the character of God on display. The Scriptures reveal God to be holy, loving, just, eternal, glorious, exalted, loving, gracious, merciful, and infinitely good. They teach us that He is Lord, He is sovereign, He is a consuming fire, and also a God of wrath. In the Bible we learn truth that man can never have come to God by himself. In the pages of the Bible, we meet God himself. We could never know him any other way. When you read this book, you find out who God is. You know his characteristics. You find out who he is. But secondly, the scriptures reveal God's power. In the pages of Scripture, we read about the awesome power of God. We read about His omnipotent ability. We read about His power to create. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we know that from nothing He spoke this world into existence. Psalm 33, 9 says this, He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Psalm 148, verse 4 and 5, Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. That's power, isn't it? That He didn't have to get down with His hands and put things together. He simply spoke forth the Word, and it came into being. Let there be light, and there was light. That's power. How about Hebrews 11.3? Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed how? By the Word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Do you, know, under, do you understand that things that are made today are put together by things that already exist? That my phone was put together by pieces and parts that already existed, Brother Paul? But when God created this world, He created it from absolutely nothing. And He did it by speaking it into existence. That's the power that He has. And this book tells us that He is powerful. But the Bible also speaks of His power over impossible situations. John chapter 11 talks about Him raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, nobody just goes around raising people from the dead. But Lazarus was dead and had been in the tomb for four days. And they told him, by this time there's a stench. By this time he's stinking. But Jesus said, hey, roll the stone away. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And you've heard this said before. And he not called Lazarus by name and simply said, come forth. Every dead person in the vicinity would have got out of their tombs. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came walking out of the grave even though he had been there for four days. 
How about in John chapter 6? He fed 5,000 with just a little boy's lunch. He he fed 5,000 people with nothing more than a little Happy Meal. That's power. A few fish and some loaves of bread. How about walking on the water during the storm? That's power. The Scriptures speak of His power to heal. Blind people were made to see. Deaf people were made to heal. Lame people were made to walk. People were with leprosy were cleansed and made whole. That's what you find in this book. God's power to heal. The Scriptures speak of His power to do anything that He desires to do. And let me just tell you this, when God desires to do anything He wants to do, you nor I nor no demon or devil in hell can stop Him from doing what God wants to do. Amen? That when God sets His mind to do something in your life, nobody can stop Him from doing it. That when God wants to bless you, when God wants to heal you, when God wants to overturn your circumstance, nobody can stop God from doing it because He has all power and all authority. Luke 1.37 says this, For with God nothing shall be impossible. We serve a God that nothing's too hard for. Amen? Job 42 verse 2, I know that thou canst do what? Everything. And that no thought can be withholding from thee. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him that is able to what? To do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. No matter what you ask for, No matter what you think of, He can do exceeding abundantly above it all. The Word of God reveals God to be all-powerful. That means, Brother Lynn, we'll never face anything that God can't handle. We'll never have a need that God can't meet. We'll never face a situation that God can't see us through. We'll never face anything that is too big for our God. He is a God of power. But thirdly, the Scriptures reveal God's promises. You see, thousands of promises fill the pages of the Word of God and every single one will be kept. Here's what the Bible says, Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or has He spoken, and shall He not make it good? Listen, if God said it, God will do it. How about Romans 4, 21? And being fully persuaded. This is talking about Abraham. Abraham was being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Are you persuaded that what God's promised you, He'll also perform? God will not lie. God will keep His promises. You see, we never have to worry or fear that any of the promises of God will fail. God will honor His Word. In fact, the Bible says that God watches over His Word to perform it. God's going to keep His promises. But here's the fourth thing. They reveal God's plan. The Scriptures reveal God's plan. Have you ever wanted to know what's God, what, what, what's God up to? Just read the Bible. It reveals God's plan. You see, in the pages of God's inspired and fallible, inerrant book, in this book we can read of God's plan. First of all, to save the sinner. It's part of God's plan to save the sinner. 
Look at Romans 5, 8. But God commends His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's part of God's plan to save the lost. But secondly, it's part of God's plan to satisfy the saint. God wants to satisfy His people. Psalm 103, verse 5. Who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Listen, God doesn't just save you. God wants to satisfy you. Amen. But guess what? He wants to secure the saved. Number three there. He wants to secure the saved. John 10, 28. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John 6, 37 to 40. All that the Father gives me shall come to me and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. But there's something else about God's plan. God wants to supply His son and daughters. Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now am old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. The Scriptures serve the purpose of revelation. But secondly, they serve the purpose of redemption. They serve the purpose of redemption. The Bible is the unfolding of the story of redemption. And 2 Timothy 3 verse 15 reminds us that the Scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation. That's what Paul told Timothy. You see, from the moment a man sinned in the Garden of Eden, there is a continuous scarlet thread that can be traced to the pages of the Bible. Here's the thing about the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the superhero of the Word of God. And you can find Him in every book of the Bible. Every Old Testament book is pointing to Jesus. Amen? Every lamb that was slaughtered in the Old Testament was a type of Jesus. It was pointing to Him. And so this story of redemption, it culminates with the death of Christ on the cross for the salvation of the lost. Notice with me what the Scriptures say about the purpose of Redemption, number one, they demonstrate the wickedness of the sinner. The Bible is what teaches us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The Word of God shows us that we are lost and separated from God. Listen to this Old Testament verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20. Many times, let me, let me just say this, many times we want to go straight to the New Testament that talks, that talks about we're all guilty and come short of the glory of God but the, but the Old Testament tells us we're lost too here's one right here Ecclesiastes 7.20 for there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not pretty plain isn't it now Romans chapter 3 verse 10 there's none righteous no not one Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned? All. 
That's not. That means nobody can walk around and say, I'm not a sinner. Because all have sinned. Might not be a drunkard. Might not be a drug addict. But all have sinned. David talks about him being shapen in iniquity. Born in sin. Why? Because of Adam's sin. We're born with that sinful nature. You've heard me say this. That's why you don't have to teach little children to, to lie. They just know how to do it. <laughs> and a lot of them get pretty good at it. You don't have to teach little children how to be selfish. What's well, some of the first words they learn? Mine. Why? It's in there. That sinful nature is there. Passed on from Adam right on down to us. All sin and come short of the glory of God. And that word sin there, it means to miss the mark. That God has a standard. Think of a bullseye. You're trying to hit the target. And you can't hit it. No matter how good you try to be, you can't ever hit the target that God set. We miss it. And here's the thing, even after salvation, even after believing in Jesus, sometimes we still can't hit the target, Brother Paul. Because here's the target, perfection. (laughs) And we still miss it. But in Christ, we're perfect. That's the only way that any of us go to heaven. In Christ. Because by ourselves, we can't hit the target. I don't care how many shots you get at it, by yourself, you'll never hit the target. But Jesus hit the target. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God. And He took our place. Amen? Galatians 3.22 But the Scripture has concluded, who under sin? All. Oh. Under sin. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that what? Believe. Every person born is a sinner who needs salvation. But here's the second thing. They demonstrate the wrath of the sovereign. And let me just go ahead and tell you this. I didn't come up with this outline by myself, so if you think, oh, this is nice, cute, with it all rhyming, I didn't come up with this by myself. I wish I could take credit for it, but I didn't come up with all this rhyming by myself. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is what? Death. The payment for sin is death. John 3.18 he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Psalm 9.17 The wicked shall be turned into hell, 
And all the nations that forget God. You see, right now we're living in an age of grace. We're living in a time of grace. Some would refer to it as a dispensation of grace. That means right now God is merciful. God is patient. God is long-suffering. But there's going to come a day when God's grace and God's mercy and God's patience will end. And then, for those that have rejected Him, for those that have said no to Him, for those that have turned their back on Him and said, hey, I don't want the salvation you've offered, they'll face His judgment and they'll face His wrath. Number three, the Scriptures demonstrate the worth of the soul. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet per avenge, or perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth, or God demonstrates His love toward us. Notice this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These verses demonstrate what God did so that lost sinners wouldn't have to be eternally separated from Him. He gave His only begotten Son. These verses show how much God loves lost people, how much He values their soul, that He sent His only begotten Son to take their place. That shows how much your soul is worth. Think about that. Here's the thing. I'm not going to let my son die for anybody else. If somebody, if we were in here on a Sunday morning and my children are sitting here, I'm going to do best as I can to protect my family. I'm going to shield them. I'm going to guard them. And if it came down to somebody dying, I'm going to be the one laying down my life. But God loved all of us so much that He said, I'll send my son. That's how much He values our soul. That's how much He wants us to spend eternity with Him. Think about that. Love so much that He gave. But number four, they demonstrate the way of salvation. Again, John 3.16, God loved the, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever would believe. Jesus took our place, but guess what? You have to believe. John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Hear me. Jesus is the only way to be saved. He isn't one of many ways. He's the only way. And I know that's not popular preaching in our day because we're living in times where everyone wants to believe there's many ways to God, that there's many roads that lead to heaven. But the Bible says there's only one way, and His name's Jesus. 
But we're living in times where people say it doesn't matter which road you pick, it all is going to take you to heaven. In fact, there is a, a teaching out there today called Christian universalism that believes all human beings will ultimately be saved and restored to a right relationship with God. They disagree on whether or not hell exists. However, they do agree that if it does, the punishment there is corrective and remedial and does not last forever. Here's what that means. If hell does exist and someone goes to hell, they're only going to be there temporarily and once they are converted and their behavior is corrected, they'll be released from hell and go to heaven. That's what a universalist believes. That a person can live like they want to and if there is a literal hell, they could go there, spend some time there. They call it purgatorial hell. Be converted while in hell. Their behavior be modified and then be released and ultimately go to heaven and spend forever with God. And then some of them don't even believe that there is a hell and that we're just ultimately going to go to heaven and all be with God. Doesn't matter what you do because God's loving, God's merciful, God's patient and we're just all going to go be with God one day. Hear me well, the Bible speaks of a place called hell where those who reject Jesus will go forever. In fact, the Bible talks about hell being cast into the lake of fire. So it's not just about going to hell, it's about hell and the people that's going to be in hell being cast into the lake of fire forever. That's what happens after the great white throne judgment. That death and hell and all those who reject him is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Not one of many ways, not one of many paths. He is the only way. And if you reject his way of salvation, there is no other way to be saved. Amen. And again, that's not popular today because they think, hey, you're being narrow-minded. You're being bigoted. But that's what the Bible says. There's only one way to be saved. Acts 16.31 They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And then Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is received by faith. It's received by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. Hear me. It's not through our effort or works or religion. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We receive it by faith. Salvation is a gift. That's what this Bible teaches. That's the way of salvation. Not through trying to be good. Not through trying to work for it. Faith in Jesus, by grace, through faith. But number three, they serve the purpose of reinforcement. Verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy 3 talk about the benefits that can be derived from a careful and close study of the Bible. After we have received God's revelation and a part of His redemptive plan, the Bible serves as a 
reinforcement tool helping us to grow and to develop into all that God wants His children to be. I want to give you two ways in which the Scriptures can help us to develop as believers. Number one, they build us up through their standards. They build us up through their standards. One of the criticisms, I guess you could say, of the Bible or that many people want to try to bring out against the Bible is that it's a rule book. In other words, people don't like the idea that the Word of God tells them how to live their lives. In fact, we're living in a day where people don't like authority. They don't like being told what to do. They don't like a list of rules. But here's the thing about the Word of God. It's the guidelines for living that are found in the Bible that enable us to live lives that bring glory and honor to God. If we're going to live lives that please Him and uplift His name, we need to know what this book has to say. Amen? And so here's what Jesus teaches us. Jesus teaches us in John 14, 15 that keeping the commandments is tangible evidence that we love Him. Now listen to this. John 14, 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Love for God is proved by obedience. Now we may not always obey perfectly, but the desire of your heart and the desire of my heart should always be to do what God wants us to do. We should strive to live out His commands. Hear what I'm about to say. I would find it hard to believe someone who says they love God but never obey His commands. For somebody to say, I love Jesus, but you never attempt to do what He wants you to do, I find it hard to believe that you love Him. Amen? If you love me, keep my commandments. In fact, some translations read, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John also tells us in the book of 1 John that obeying the Word of God is proof of your salvation. Think about that. 1 John 2, verse 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we know Him. How? If we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. I like John. John, uh, John's just to the point. He don't beat around the bush. He who says, I know Him and doesn't keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. Now notice verse 6. He who says He abides in Him ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. He's saying if you say you abide in Him, you ought to walk just like Jesus. The proof of our salvation isn't measured by an event in our past or an emotional feeling, but by our obedience to God's Word. Because there's a lot of people that walk the Nile and pray to prayer, but they're not being obedient. John says, proof that you know Him is your being obedient. Not that you shook the preacher's hand and prayed a prayer. 
thought that you got goosebumps one day and cried some tears and repeated after the preacher. Has your life been changed to where now you're trying to live according to this? Because here's the thing. Some people want to get hung up on, I, I can remember the date of, of, of when I got saved. But they're not living no different. They're not doing no better. But they can tell you about a past event. Are you trying to do this? Because that's the evidence. James tells us faith without works is dead. But let me just kind of throw this in here. Works without faith is just as bad. <laughs> because if you work and don't have no faith, that's not going to get you anywhere either. But Ephesians 2.10 talks about we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You're going to bear fruit if you believe. It will affect your behavior to where you strive to keep His commandments. You, you strive to live according to His Word. And John said there that if you say, I know Him, but yet you don't keep His commandments, He just flat out said, you're a liar. What I'm about to say might be kind of strong, but here's the thing. No person has a right to call themselves a Christian if they're not living in obedience to God. A person who claims to be a Christian who isn't living in obedience is living a lie. Isn't that what he's saying? If you say, I know God, but aren't living in obedience, you are living a lie. In fact, James will tell you, you are deceiving yourself. And you know what happens when you've deceived yourself? You know where you're going to end up in eternity? In fact, that, 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 that's going to be the most dangerous people. Those who call Him Lord and say, I know Him, and prophesy and do great miracles, and they're going to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. You see, it's bad to lie to other people, but it's really, really bad when you lie to yourself. Now, before I move on to the next thing, let me just say this. Don't get hung up on the do's and the don'ts. Because that's how some people look at the Bible. It's all about do's and don'ts. I can't do this. I can't do that. Can't go there. Can't, can't visit this place. If you'll focus on reading this book, studying this book, loving this book, the Spirit of God inside of you will show you how to live. Because here's how most people want to live. A lot of people, sometimes people like lists. Some people like rules. Some people like boundaries and guidelines. Just tell me what to do, preacher. Then you border on legalism. Which is just as dangerous as liberalism. But here's the thing. If you ever begin to go off the rails, the, the, there's the Holy Ghost inside of you who will help you. He'll keep you in check. Amen. 
But here's the thing. If you'll just focus on reading this book and trying to live it out, you won't have enough time to get in trouble. If we'll read this book and try to live it, you won't have enough time to get in trouble. Number two, they build us up through the symbols. The Bible identifies itself through several clear metaphors and similes. These symbols serve the purpose of helping us to understand what the Bible is and what it can do in our lives. So let's look at some of the symbols. It talks about it being a mirror. This book refers to itself as being a mirror. Look at James 1, 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man viewing his natural face in a mirror. Do you see it? Somebody who hears, not a doer. He views himself and goes his way and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in his deeds. Can you see the importance there of not only hearing but doing? It says you'll be blessed what in your doing. Not in your hearing. But it compares it to a mirror. As a mirror, the Word of God perfectly reflects the mind of God and the condition of man. That means as you read this book, this book has a way of reading you. It shows you what's wrong in your life and it shows you what God expects of you. But here's the thing. If it shows you what's wrong with you and you don't do anything about it, what good does it do? You say, why do you have a mirror in your home? So you can look in it. And it points out what needs to be corrected. You see, if I wake up tomorrow morning, here's what's going to happen, Brother Lynn. I'm going to look in a mirror, and I know my hair is not going to be parted like it is right now. It's going to be sticking up, Brother Paul. I can guarantee it is. Because here's the thing, I'm not going to go home and wash this product out tonight, and it's going to be sticking up in the morning all over the place. And you know what that mirror's going to tell me? I need to wash my hair, and I need to fix it again. But here's the thing, if I don't pay attention to what that mirror shows me and I walk out of the house, Sister Janice, you know what people's going to do when they see me? They're going to be like, look at that man's hair. Don't he have a mirror at home? Don't he know he didn't do something about his hair? But here's how, that's how some people treat the Word. They look in it and they see they need to do something, but they go away and never do anything. And if we'll be honest, we've all been guilty of it, haven't we? You read it, and the Spirit of God begin to thump on your heart and show you this is you. And you just close it. I don't want to hear that right now. And you go away and you don't do anything about it. Thinking, I'll just come back later and, and, and it won't bother me. And all of a sudden, I'll go to another place in the Bible. All of a sudden, you get over there. There it goes again. The Spirit of God begins to deal with you again. You can't get away from it. That's what He does. It shows you who God is, but it also shows you you. It'll read you. It's also compared to a seed. 1 Peter 1.23 Being born again of uh, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. When the Word is properly planted in the human heart, it will bring forth life, growth, and fruit. In fact, when Jesus told the parable of the sower and he had the four different soils, guess what? The, the seed wasn't the problem. The seed was compared to what? The Word. The seed wasn't the problem. 
The soul wasn't the problem. The soul was the problem. So you've got to have, that's why prayer and repentance and confession is good, so that when the seed is sown, that when you hear preaching and when you hear teaching on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night, when the seed's sown, that there's a place for it to fall and take root and bring forth fruit in your life. Amen? It's also compared to water. Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Guess what, men? I'm coming for you probably. I mean, that's Ephesians 5. We just started Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to have a long ways to go, but husbands, we're going to come for you when we get to there in Ephesians. That He might sanctify and cleanse it. Notice this, with the washing of water by the Word. That He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without... Blameless. The washing of water by the Word. As water, the Word has the power to cleanse, quench, and refresh. Listen, this book right here has the power just to wash over you and cleanse you and refresh you and help you during times of... uh, Listen, there's been times we can go through dry places and barren places, but you can get into this book and it can refresh you. It's compared to a lamp. Psalm 119, 105. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Proverbs 6, 23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The Word is a lamp because it shows us where we are, it guides us into the future, and it keeps us from falling. That, that's why you have a flashlight. It shows you where you got to go. It shows you where not to step, and where to step. Amen? And that's what this book will do. It'll, it'll show you where you need to go. It's compared to a sword. Hebrews 4, 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Ephesians 6, 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word is called a sword because it has the ability to pierce the heart. And here's the thing about the sword. It's equally effective on sinners, saints, and Satan. It works on all three. It'll work on the lost people. It'll work on the church people. And it'll work on the enemy. It'll work on all three. Amen? It's equally effective. Listen, this is no respecter of persons. It works on all people. It's referred to as precious metals. It's referred to as gold. Look at Psalm 19.10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Psalm 119.127. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yeah, above fine gold. How about silver? Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. That's silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. The Bible is referred to as gold and silver because of its desirability, its preciousness, and its value. You see, the Word of God should be more valuable to us than anything else we own. The Bible should be one of our most prized possessions. But is it? But is it? Most of the time it's not. We, we, we'll, we'll toss them around. We'll mistreat them. Let's just be honest. But we'll lock up our jewelry. And we'll, we'll lock up our life insurance policies and all that stuff so that if a fire comes, they don't get destroyed. But he said, I love thy commandments above gold. He, he said, I love your word more than I love Gold. 
There's other places where he says, I, 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 I love it more than rubies. It was valuable to him. And here's the thing, you've probably seen some of the videos of people in China and people in other parts of the world where they open suitcases of Bibles. And they can't wait to get their hands on it. Where in just seconds, the suitcase is empty and the Bibles are gone. And yet we've got shelves lined with Bibles that we never use. Bibles that sit there collect dust. You want to know why sometimes our lives are falling apart? It's because we have Bibles that are so put together. Bibles that are unmarked, unread. What's the saying? A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody whose life isn't falling apart. It's compared to food. Job 23.12 Gotta hurry. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of His lips. I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. The Bible's compared to milk in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. That means as milk it nourishes the young. It's compared to meat in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. That means it's for the mature. It's compared to honey in Psalm 19, 10. As honey, it is sweet. It provides strength for the journey. You see, the Word of God is called food because it strengthens those who partake of it. And the Word of God has something for all ages within its pages. You see, the Word of God's for young and old. Amen? That's why we do our best to try to have something for the kids and something for the teenagers and in preaching out here because I believe this book has something for all people. It can speak to young and old and make a difference in every life. None of us here this evening would go without, would go without eating food on a regular basis. But how many times do we go without eating from the Word of God? Or maybe at best we snack on it from time to time. A little nibble here, a little nibble there. A little devotional here, a little devotional there. But here's the thing, you'll never be a growing, developing Christian without feasting on the Word of God. Listen, a few minutes here and a few minutes there will not help you be the man or woman that God wants you to be. You've got to feast on this book. You've got to spend time in its pages. It's also called a hammer. Jeremiah 23, 29, Is not my word as like as a fire set the Lord in like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. It's called a hammer because it possesses the ability to tear down and build up. It's called a fire. Jeremiah 29, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He said, Jeremiah, he's getting fed up. He said, I'm not going to prophesy. I'm not going to preach anymore. But His Word was in me like a fire shut up in my bones. And I tell you, I felt like that sometimes. I'm not going to preach no more. I'm not going to say anything else, but His Word's in me. And sometimes it just has to come bubbling out. What's the next one? Luke 24, 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While He taught with us by the way, and while He opened to us the Scriptures. 
You see, there's been times I've sat listening to the Word of God and just the Word just begin to burn inside of you. And God just begin to work. It's called fire because it has the power to judge, to purify, and consume. Hear what I'm about to say. and We'll close. The Word of God gives us everything we need to live the life that God's called us to live. If God has saved us, God gives us His Word for everything we need. Everything we need to live the life He wants us to live, we can find it right here. So in closing, I want to thank God for the Bible. I want to thank God for His Word. God has blessed us beyond our ability to comprehend. There are people who lose their life for this book in other parts of the world. And so God has given us an inspired, infallible, inerrant record of Himself and His will and His ways. And so my prayer tonight is that we'll love His Word, that we'll read it, that we'll study it, and that we'll carry it in our hearts. And I pray that His Word will develop us, that it'll feed us, that it'll lead us, and that it'll teach us all the way home to heaven. Amen. Would you stand with me?